This morning, we are going to be in our fourth week of our new series, Longing for Home. And we're going to be in 1 Peter 1, verses 22. And we're going to kind of jump into the next chapter to follow a thought that Peter's putting out there into chapter 2, verse 3. Today is even more of a call to action of what Peter has been putting out over the last few weeks. Uh, We see in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, that he gives us this idea that we are born again to a living hope. And so he is just trying to further communicate, keep pushing this idea forward of what Jesus has done for us. We've been born again to a living hope. And so today, Peter is going to continue to play off the idea of us being born again. And so today, our focus, living new, born again, holy lives, we need to realize that this isn't just a personal thing. Most of what has been communicated up until this point has been personal. It's been looking at the inside, being very introspective, but today things really go out into the public, not just this body of believers, but our life around other people in general. We have to figure out what it looks like as this new family of Christians. We have to realize Peter is writing to very young believers that are all over the place that have been dispersed through persecution. He's, ha- he's saying, hey guys, listen, this is what it looks like to live a part of this new family. We have to figure out how we work this whole thing out of having been saved and one day being saved at the end of our lives and then at the last day when the Lord comes. And so in short, what Peter is saying is the answer to all of these questions is love one another. Love one another. Love is so important. It's so important that people outside of the church get love. People understand the importance of love in life. Vince Lombardi, legendary NFL coach. Anybody heard of him before? A few of you. Okay. Anyone under 30? (laughs) Two of you. Okay. Awesome. Vince Lombardi, three-time back-to-back-to-back Super Bowl-winning championship coach, five times total in the span of seven years. This guy was tough. This guy was fierce. This guy pushed his players to the limits. And every single one of his players would say the same thing about him. That the level of intensity that he had for the game and for coaching them to get to their full potential was always matched by the intensity in which he loved them. Vince Lombardi is quoted as saying, I don't necessarily have to like my players and associates, but as their leader, I must love them. Love is loyalty. Love is teamwork. Love respects the dignity of the individual. This is the strength of any organization. For Vince Lombardi, in an article I read this week, most of his players said that the only other place that had experienced love, like that which they received from him, was inside of their family. And in return, For the man that would do absolutely anything for them, they would run through walls or something even bigger than a wall. An NFL athlete, anytime, anywhere, any place. We see through Vince Lombardi, his successful career in the NFL, that love is the strength of any organization, like he says. And I think we can take that and we can amplify it all the way up to 11, because we as the church are an organization, but we are not just an organization. We are the body of Christ. We are his church. We are his hands, his feet here 
on this earth. We are his bride, and we don't just play a silly game where we put uniforms on. Some moms would say costumes, where we don't put pads on and run into each other at high speeds, where we don't try to put a ball in an end zone. No, we play a different kind of game, a game that brings light into darkness, that brings hope into despair, that brings love into trials and persecution, that brings peace into discomfort. We play a game where eternities are on the line, and our effectiveness isn't based off of whether we make it to the playoffs or whether we win the Super Bowl. Our effectiveness as the church, as a body of believers, is based on one thing, and that is how we love, how we love God, and how out of our relationship with God, how we love others. And so, so much more is at stake for us. So how much more should we love than an NFL coach to his team? We're going to dive in this morning. First Peter 1, 22. Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Our first point this morning is our response to the gospel is loving others. Our response to the gospel is loving others. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We see that brotherly love here, this idea of having purified your souls, this brotherly love, that comes from the Greek word phileo. That's where we get the city name Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We are loving each other as brothers and sisters. But loving each other as brothers and sisters requires something that requires our souls to be purified. And so, how are our souls purified? Our souls are purified when we have been holy. And that is not H-O-L-Y, that is W-H-O-L-L-Y. Our entire bodies, everything that we are has been cleansed, has been redeemed by Jesus. What love, re- what love requires is a response to the gospel. And so what love requires is salvation. So that means that if we are called to love one another, if I'm called to love you, you're called to love me, we're a happy family, that means that we have to respond to salvation. We have to respond to the gospel. It is going to take salvation in order for us to communicate out of love, to operate out of love, to serve alongside each other in love. Much like Vince Lombardi's quote, We aren't called to like each other. In the entire New Testament, it doesn't say, beloved, brothers and sisters, like each other. No. What it says over and over and over and over again is, brothers, sisters, children, love one another. Think about the context, once again, that Peter is writing to this early young church. There's not many of them. Within an entire an entire community, there may be tens of believers, and they would be dispersed at that. So he's saying you don't have to like each other, but your family. You're called to love each other like family. You're called to love each other like brothers, like sisters. Get in the trenches with each other and love one another. Love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. When Peter says that next part of the phrase after the comma there, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's saying, take your love a step further. Love unconditionally. Love like Jesus. This second love, this 
love one another brotherly. That was phileo, but in the Greek, there's something completely different here that we can miss in the English. It was phileo love, brotherly love, sisterly love from sibling to sibling as part of this new family. But now what Jesus or what Peter is doing, he's saying love one another in a different Greek word, and that is agape love. And that means unconditionally. That means no matter what, love this person. So we take our love a step further by loving unconditionally. If we're going to love unconditionally, it means we love like Jesus. It means we have a high regard for the person that we are loving regardless of what we are getting out of it. It means that we serve them not based off of our preferences. We've covered this so many times in this church and you guys are crushing it when it comes to laying our preferences down. Lay them down, continue to lay them down. This time not from Paul, but from Peter. Lay them down and continue to love this person. And earnestly, from the heart. That word earnestly means from the depths of who you are, the very essence, the very soul that you have inside of you. Love people from that. Love people if they love you. Love people when they love you. Think Jesus to John. John, when he writes his gospel, he calls himself the most loved disciple. Think of Jesus to Peter. Peter loved Jesus so much to the point of he would cut a guard's ear off, and I think he, was, he just missed. He was going for the neck. That is love. He wanted to protect his Messiah. It was just going down differently than he thought. But we don't just love people that love us. That's so easy. Where this gets hard is when we love, even if they hurt us, like Jesus to Judas. See, Jesus knew that Judas would betray. And what does he do? He still washes his feet. He still has a spot at the table. Jesus knew, and Judas ate too. Now that's love. Jesus didn't kick him out. He didn't say, Judas, I know you're about to betray me. He did throw it out there. He said, I know one of y'all is about to betray me. Judas probably looking around. That's love. Knowing that he would be betrayed, he still shared his last meal with him. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how do I love unconditionally? As a parent, you love your children unconditionally when you help guide them in life, when you give them direction and you raise them up in the ways of the Lord, when you have patience and patience and patience and patience and patience. And when you run out of patience, you have grace and grace and grace. It's rinse and repeat, all right? It's like a head and shoulders commercial. You just put it in, you rinse it out, you put it back in. I haven't used that in quite some time, but I do remember how shampoo works. Patience and grace, parents, over and over and over. As a grandparent, with tenderness. I heard a pastor say this week, the best part about being a grandparent is it's all the grand and it's none of the parent. (laughs) Run with that, all right? Grandma is one of the most special people in the world to me, and she certainly took that to heart. It was all donuts and Toys R Us with us. Love and tenderness, unconditional. Even when I was being a little punk, She still loved me. As a child, we love unconditionally our parents with obedience, with respect. And it's not just that, it's snuggles too. Let's throw some love in there. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how old my girls get. I'm always down for the snuggles, all right? Keep them coming. As teachers, it's with patience. It's with presence. It's with joy. And it is with passion for knowledge. 
knowing when to put the books down, and knowing when to pick up a conversation with your kids. Now, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I had to ask one of our teachers here at this church, hey, how do you love your kids unconditionally? Because I was trying to put myself in the mindset of a teacher, and the only thing that I could come up with was just patience. Patience. Holy Spirit, give these teachers patience. I don't know how every single one of you don't end up on the news. I don't know how you do what you do. It's incredible, and I love you for it. And we will keep supporting you as a church until we're not a church. Keep it up. You teachers are incredible. Love your students. Love their parents. I know they're hard too because I'm one of them. And I'm probably one of the easier ones. Well, I'm a dad, so I'm really not really involved anyways, all right? That's more, that's more of the mom side of things, all right? Rachel takes care of it. As an employee, we love unconditionally with something I think we take for granted a lot, and that's with competence. Your greatest witness in the workplace is how well you understand your job, how hard you work, how well you understand what is going on around you, how you take initiative. Competence is huge. Love your coworkers, love your boss with your confidence, with your work ethic, with your character. Be the same person all the time. As a spouse, I love my wife. My wife loves me with pursuit, with understanding, with respect, and with working toward a common goal. We're not called to be roommates. We're called to work toward the same thing. And as believers, finding ourselves married to each other, we are working towards the advancement of the gospel, being the church and displaying the kingdom together. We are not on separate routes. We're not on separate missions. We are on the same mission for the Lord. And he's put us together so that we can get so much more done. And then as a retiree, I didn't reach out to a retiree for this one. I just thought about Ralph. I was like, what's Ralph doing right now? 7.30, he's probably asleep. Okay, Ralph, I'm kidding. But I did think about you. And I thought about our senior adult ministry at this church, AKA, what they're known as in the streets, the Oasis. <laughs> or the retirement homes. I don't know, but you're known for that, all right? At Red Lobster, when you meet there. I think of the way you steward your newfound time. I think of the way you steward the resources that you worked so hard to acquire throughout your life. I think of all the people that you take to doctor's appointments. I think of the people that you help move. I think any time there is a need of this church that takes place during normal work hours, how you guys jump on that task and you do it dutifully and you do it with love. We're thankful for you for that. So why? Why do we love unconditionally? We love unconditionally because it takes love to last in trials and suffering. Peter is addressing these young Christians as they've been persecuted and dispersed. And one thing he's hit over and over and over in this book is trials and suffering. And so what we see in all of this is that you will need love as you go through trials, but you will need to love others as they go through trials. One thing that I've learned in my life as I'm going through a trial is I am hard to love. I either get woe is me, or I just get completely burnt out and don't want to be around anybody. I am not easy to love in trials. Brothers, sisters, as we see other people within this body of believers go through trials, surround them pray for them, love them, even if it is difficult, love unconditionally. If it was conditional, we'd love them until it got hard and we would stop. But Peter says, go even further. This isn't just phileo love. This is agape love. This isn't just brotherly love. This is unconditional love. Keep loving one another. 
And then Peter lays down the source. Where where does this unconditional love come from? We get the answer for that in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Second point this morning, your new love is grounded in your new life. Your new love is grounded in your new life. We see in verse 23, the new life requires a new way of living. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. This means that our identity leads to our actions. So how does this new life last according to the scripture that Peter writes to us? It lasts because of God's word. We have been given a new identity from God's word, and it is lasting, it is living, and it is abiding or enduring. We can love this way because we have been born again. We have been born of God because of the salvation that we have experienced. And we have not just been born, but we have been born of a seed that is imperishable. It's not going to wither away. And one thing I know about seeds, which is not a lot, but an orange seed is going to grow an orange tree. A watermelon seed is going to grow a watermelon tree, okay? Okay, I wanted to make sure you were awake. That'd be the cruelest trick of God ever. Watermelon trees. But what comes from that seed bears the same nature of the seed that it came from. Whatever grows out of it looks like the seed that it came from. And so, if we are seeds that come from God's word and God is love, then what comes from that seed should also be of love. Love is in our DNA because of everything that we do being grounded in God's word and we look like God and God is love, we should love as well. Because, verse 24, the flesh fades. All flesh is like grass and it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. What Peter's doing here is he's quoting Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, and he's saying everything of the flesh will fail you. Even if it's strong, Even if it's for a season, it is looking good. It is at the peak of where it should be. It will eventually fail you. It has its time and then it's gone. It fades away. But when it fades away, but when it fades away, verse 25, the word prevails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And the good news that was preached to you around here in Christianese, we call that the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus that remains forever. This, this is what was preached to you. The same thing that was preached to these early dispersed, persecuted against believers. The gospel was preached to you. And if you are a believer in this room, the gospel is the very thing that you responded to. And this is what lives forever inside of you. So the gospel was preached to you. The gospel lives forever, but the gospel also gave you something. And that was the gift of living forever, eternal life being made right with the Father through the work of Jesus the Son. And so what do I do with this? I can read this scripture, but what do I do with it? What is my takeaway? If it's the gospel that enables us to love unconditionally, 
I think one of the most unconditional ways that we can love someone else is to take the very gospel that was presented to us based off the word of God that we responded to, that made us right with the Father, that forgave us of our sins, gave us a clean slate, fresh start. And we can take that to other people. If the gospel is our hope in the midst of trial, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, if the gospel is the only way that we can have a full tank at all times by spending time in the word of God to love other people unconditionally, then how unloving of us would it be to keep the gospel to ourselves? This little light of mine, I'm going to keep it under a cup and keep it a secret from everybody around me is the worst children's song I've ever heard in my life. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And I forgot the rest of the words, but so that's where we're going to end. Take the gospel. Be concerned for other people. And if you are concerned for other people, and if you're tired of their unloving ways, then maybe the most unconditional... This might slide into the realm of conditional. You want them to love? Show them the source of love. They're going to get a lot easier to be around at that point. Share the gospel. First Peter 2, 1 through 3. So put away all malice, all deceit, and all hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Third and final point this morning, your new life is found in the word. Your new life is found in the word. What we see in verse one of chapter two here as Peter continues this thought is that we have got to take out the trash. If I am going to love, I've got to get rid of some things that are in the way of my loving. And so what Peter says to do is put away all malice. What is malice? Malice is just badness. Don't do bad things anymore. Simplest sermon ever. Hey, stop doing bad things. Let's pray. Let's go. Stop doing bad things. Get on with your bad self. You are not who you were. You are no longer who you used to be. The bad things that you once did, that's not your identity anymore. That is a life that is a separate chapter in a different book. Throw that out. Throw it in the fire. You've been forgiven of it. There's no ink there on the pages of that book. It has been wiped clean. It is now a coloring book. Pointless. But the life you have ahead of you, the life in the Holy Spirit, a life in Jesus is a life of love. So get rid of all the badness. Get rid of all deceit. Don't try to trick people. Don't lie to people. Get rid of all hypocrisy. Don't be two-faced. A hypocrite is an actor. Don't show up to church and act like you're the Christian. If, when you go home, you are the heathen. Don't show up to work and act like somebody that you're not at home or at church. Just be the same person everywhere you are. Be genuine. Be authentic. You're not fooling anybody. All right? Just be consistent. Who you are here, be there If who you are there and you are here doesn't line up with what you think you should be at church, then there probably needs to be some changes that take place in your life. You probably need to give some things up to the Holy Spirit. Maybe that thing is envy. Don't be jealous of other people. Don't long for other people's things. Don't long for other people's lifestyles. They're not you. You're not them. God didn't design you to be them. He designed you to be you. Embrace that. Be you and be true to who God made you to be. And don't slander. Get rid of all slander. Don't talk bad about other people. 
Don't do it in your head. Don't do it in conversation. Don't do it online. Don't do it at all. It's not going to help. Now, what you can do is you can go to that person in truth. You can go to that person in love. If you want to see the Holy Spirit move in their life, you pair that with prayer for them and see them be a changed person. And this isn't, this isn't an exhaustive list. I think Peter's just like, hey, here's the top six things, five things that I can think of just right off the top of my head. Just stop doing these things and stop doing everything else that you think would fall in line with this. Get rid of these things because they aren't who you are now. Your actions changed when your identity changed. You've been born again. You've been given a new identity to love. Verse 2 of chapter 2, we see that growth requires nutrition like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Being born again, Peter plays into this idea. We are born again. We are like infants. We are like newborn infants. And we're pregnant right now. We're about to have the first boy in our family ever, and we're super excited about that. I know we're not the only people that are pregnant in this church, and we're not the only people that have been pregnant in this church. There's a lot of babies in this church right now, okay? There's about 17 of them in that room over there. That's only a slight exaggeration. One thing I know about babies is when they're hungry, they are going to let you know. They are going to cry. They crave that milk. They crave nutrition. They crave sustenance. As believers, we are called to crave God's word just as much as those babies crave milk. We crave God's word because it is our spiritual milk, and we need it to live our new life. And so my question for you, church, do you crave God's word? Do you long for pure spiritual milk? I'm not talking about anything that has been watered down beyond nutrition. I'm not talking about anything that's had anything else added to it. Is your life nourished by the word of God? Would you die if you didn't spend time in God's word? Think physically, certainly not, unless it led to a crazy, rampant life of sin, but spiritually, sadly, I think yes. I think probably what the church has become, instead of a training grounds for warriors to be equipped and encouraged and sent out, is a one meal a week lubies, where you come in, you get your tray, you get your worship peas, you get your sermon chicken fried steak, you get your prayer dessert, in an hour's meal, you're out of here, and that's the only time you've eaten all week. I think if we were to see in a spiritual lens and not just a physical lens, the shape of our church, actually, I think while we can be nourished and even overnourished in the physical realm, we are probably undernourished, malnourished, and emaciated when it comes to the spiritual realm. I want us to be a, lo- a church that loves God's word. I want us to be a church that is on fire for God's word because our fervent love for his word will determine our effectiveness. Not just in what we do here, not just in our worship, but in what we've been called to, which is out there, and how we love other people, and how we continue to love them unconditionally. And so if you're not spending time in God's word, let me encourage you to do just that. Think of it like those Snickers ads. Those Snickers ads where you get really hungry, you haven't eaten in a while, they say you're not you when you're hungry, you turn into like Danny DeVito or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? 
That's me when I haven't spent time in God's word. 15 to 30 minutes in the morning is the biggest difference in my life. I go from an insufferable jerk that nobody wants to be around to, all right, I could be around this guy for a little bit. 15 to 30 minutes. The difference between a day that could go any direction to a day that is instantly good now because I've spent time in the presence of the Father. I've gone to his word and he's shown me who he wants me to be that day. 30 minutes to an hour. Now I'm not just a different person who's going to have a neutral or bad day to a good day, but I'm fully submitted. I am focused on the Lord. I'm not distracted, but I'm grounded and I'm humbled in what he has called me to do and who he has called me to be. And so church, make sure you eat. Don't get hangry in your life with the Lord. Don't get hangry around other people. Spend time with the Lord. Also verse two, we see that growing is for the long haul, that by it you may grow up into salvation. This isn't something that we're gonna figure out overnight. I don't want you to get discouraged. We will continue to be saved. We have been saved. We can look back on that. We will continue to be saved as we submit ourselves to the Lord daily. And one day we will be saved. The three points of salvation, justification, sanctification, and one day glorification. Every single day should be a step closer to Jesus. And yes, there will be days where you go down, but the overarching trend is that we are heading up. So grow. Be nourished by the word. It starts small. I wouldn't say that any one of you who has not read their Bible in years, months, days, needs to spend an hour a day in God's word because I don't think that's sustainable. Now I would love if we would all get to that place, but start small, snack size, bite size, and continue to add on to it. Not only that, but weather the growing pains. Allow God to prune you along the way. God's whole purpose in our lives as we grow to be more like Jesus is that we would abide in the vine, and as we grow, we would produce spiritual fruit, and as we produce spiritual fruit, some of the things in our lives need to leave our lives, and so Jesus prunes the branch that we are connected to his vine to allow for more growth, to allow for healthier growth. But the thing is about pruning is every single time you get pruned, it hurts. Embrace the growing pains. And I would say just a little bonus here, track your growth along the way. One of the coolest things in the world is uh, at, at my mom's house, she's been tracking the girls' height since they moved into that place about 2019. And it's cool to see how much the girls have grown. When I look at you, awesome people in this church, you followers of Jesus. And I think back to the moment I first met you and where you were spiritually. So many of you have devoted your lives to the Lord. So many of you have committed to what he's doing here in the church and want to be a part of how he can use you in it. So many of you have grown spiritually so much. And it's like a little notch. Stand next to that door. Stand on your tippy toes because you got to cheat, right? And you know you're going to stand on your tippy toes next time too. Take the pen, mark right above your head. And then in a month's time, see how much they've grown. It's crazy to me how much our girls have grown over a short amount of time, over a couple of years. It's like, man, you used to be a midget. Now look at you. You're massive. When did you become a kid? You were a baby, and now you're almost an adult. There's a sweetness when you look back on your life with the Lord. And so many of you have grown so stinking fast that I want you to look back 
Let's take glory in the Lord for what he has done in your life. So track your growth. Final thing, have you tasted? Have you tasted and seen that he is good? I just want you to know as a church, this is very important, okay? The greatest meal that could ever be made on the face of this planet is at Breadwinners in Dallas, Texas. And it is the chicken and waffle entree. And this isn't just any chicken and waffle entree. The chicken comes out, it's bigger than your face. You're thinking, how am I going to eat it? And then you're like, I don't even care. It's just, it's going to happen. It's breaded in this buffalo sauce. And then you go to the waffle and it's this big, fluffy Belgian waffle. It's got bacon in it. And I'm not talking like bacon bits that you just throw in your salad because you're trying to get a little crunch in there. I'm talking real life bacon. That's from a pig for sure. I'm talking about cheddar cheese in that bad boy, little jalapenos. And then they've got jalapeno gravy. And then they've got 100% straight from Canada maple syrup. Let me tell you, I've tasted and I've seen. And I almost put it on social media. It was so good. But it wouldn't be my favorite meal in the entire world had I not sat down, ordered it, and experienced it. You've got to put yourself in front of the Word. If you want to grow, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in your love for, for other people and you want that tank to continue to be full, you've got to put yourself in front of the Word and then you have to dig in. You have to taste and you have to see that He is good. For some of you, say, I don't even know where to start when it comes to reading the Bible, man. I open this thing up. Sometimes I'll just turn it upside down, drop it on the floor, and I'll pick it up and whatever page it's on, I'll just try to find one scripture there. Please don't do that. That's the weirdest thing ever, Okay. <laughs> I know, I did that in middle school. I felt real holy. It didn't do much for me. Here's what I would say. Whatever you do, if you're just starting out, please, please. Look, I know we got some go-getters in here. Please don't start with a read the Bible in a year plan, okay? If you start at the beginning and you work your way to the end, you're going to get through Genesis. You're going to be like, that was cool. Then you're going to keep reading. Exodus, ah, this is pretty sweet. Leviticus, when did I sign up for law school? This is absolutely ridiculous. You're going to go from eating steak and potatoes to saltine crackers. That's not a good play. And that's, that's a lot. It's a lot to take on. Here's what I would say. First and foremost, if you're starting to read the Bible for the first time, spend time with Jesus. Go to the Gospels. First four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're a person that has a hard time focusing, I would start in Mark. It's the shortest of all written by John Mark, through the words of Peter. Peter is a man of action. It's like a cinematic experience as you read this thing. If you want to add on from there, I'd start at just a chapter, maybe a couple paragraphs a day, continue to build on that. If you want to add on to it, go to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, get some wisdom in your life, see how you can apply that wisdom to your life, see how it changes your life. For others of you, maybe that's a little much. And for that, for you, say download the Bible app. Go to your app store. If you have an iPhone, if you have an Android, repent, sell it, buy an iPhone. <laughs> download the Bible app. They've got reading plans in there. They're pretty solid. It's a good place to start. But start. Start. We've got to grow spiritually. We've got to spend time in the Word. If we don't spend time in the Word, we're not going to present ourselves, make ourselves submissive to the Gospel. If we don't make ourselves submissive to the Gospel, 
and we don't experience salvation, if we don't experience salvation, then we don't love others unconditionally. And if we don't continue to spend time in the Word, then we will not be able to continue to love other people. We're going to go through some trials. We're going to go through some suffering. The people around us are going to go through trials. They're going to go through suffering. And we have been called to be the light of the world in that moment. We have been called to be the hope and despair. Let's take it to Him. But let's not go around trying to fill other people's cups up when our pitchers are empty. Let's be poured into by the Word of God. Let's take it to them. Three things to live by before we leave. Love unconditionally in your trials and through their trials. Share the good news of Jesus as it was shared with you. Taste and see. Spend time in God's Word. Grow from it. These are the things we take out this door. These are the things that we apply immediately.